Hey there, everyone. This is Dan Fagella here at Tech Emergence, where we interview investors, entrepreneurs, and researchers in the domain of emerging technology. And today we're going to talk about space. And I'm lucky enough to have a fellow of the Institute of the Future, Ms. Ariel Waldman, who's also the global instigator of Science Hack Day and the founder of SpaceHack.org. And we're going to talk about how uh, visions of the future can help mold the future itself. Ms. Ariel, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm very well. Glad to have you on. I found you first on the Institute of the Future. I thought uh, the project you had going on there was rather interesting. I wanted to start off our conversation on on a topic that I'm also very congenial with myself, which is how uh, visions of the future, potentially narratives, books, uh, visions, what have you, um, help mold the actual future that is the case today. Do you think that people often kind of downplay the value of whether it's fiction or, or other writing or other uh, art in terms of what's what's brought us to where we are right here and now? I think it's actually not downplayed. I, I think, you know, generally a lot of people do look to fiction as sort of a way to provocate uh, potential futures and to uh, really bring about change in some ways because I think fiction sometimes not only uh, tells us a lot about, you know, what the future could be, but it's also sometimes critical of how the present is, uh, for, for better or worse. So I think the way um, fiction plays a role in everything today is is actually really great and really encouraging to see. Big time. And, and uh, you know, I've, I'd heard some interesting uh, anecdotes about, I, I never was necessarily a Star Trek person per se, but, but all the corollaries between Star Trek and technologies of today. There was some fantastic blog post about it on Lord knows where, um, about everything from the iPhone to so many other technologies and how they were mirrored in the past. Um, do you think that, that oftentimes people are able to see and trace those back to uh, history, fiction, etc.? Um, yeah, I, I think absolutely. Like They uh, can often trace different things back to fiction. You know, Arthur C. Clarke famously wrote about geostationary satellites before they existed, um, and there's a, a ton of other examples. I think what's also cool, though, is not only the fact that people can trace technologies back to certain works of fiction, but a lot of people can trace their careers back to certain works of fiction. So huh, in, the, in the case of Star Trek, you have a lot of people who, who work at NASA and they claim that uh, a lot of the reason why they work at NASA is because they were really into Star Trek growing up. So I think it's, uh, fiction has not only been like this great change agent in technology, but also in, in people who work in technology. And what are some of those other examples? I mean, I got to be frank, whoever you just mentioned about geostationary something or other, I mean, you know, me knowing anything about that guy is about as likely as me knowing anything about, you know, French pastries or like some other topic I've literally never read about in my life. Um, but, um, but clearly, you know, it's something you've delved into. Now, um, uh, what are some other examples that, you know, maybe a lot of folks know about or even don't? of how, you know, folks like that who have visioned forward, whether they were scientists or, or fiction writers or what have you, have brought us to technologies, to states of being in, in which we are today. Whether are some other cool examples of how that sort of translated itself into the world we live in now? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of different ones, and, you know, some are more direct than others. So Arthur C. Clarke was the guy who was famous for writing 2001, A Space Odyssey, um, oh, yeah. and, and a ton of other works of... Um, fiction. Um, so he had written a lot about different technologies that uh, didn't yet exist, and a lot of them came true. Supposedly, I heard that um, Arthur C. Clarke even had a list of things that he had 
talked about in his books that didn't yet exist in the world, like, as he was getting older and, and nearer to death. So, like, he had this list of, like, things he was annoyed that still didn't exist that he had written about or something. Supposedly, this is what oh, I wow. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's other examples, you know, more obvious ones, like, you know, people talk about uh, tricorders from Star Trek, and there is a um, X Prize competition to see if someone can actually build a real-life tricorder now. What a is a tricorder? The tricorder is the device where if someone gets injured or, or maybe they're having some sort of health issue, it's just a device that practically looks like a cell phone um, that you hold up to someone, and it can instantly diagnose what's going wrong with them without, like, you know, actually probing them. Uh-huh. Um, Okay, great. So, so that's sort of that example. Um, but then there's, you know, other examples where it's, it's not necessarily that the author brought about change so much as they imagined it. So, um, so Johannes Kepler, who uh, is, is pretty famous in the, I guess, astronomy community, um, he was, gosh, I forget what which century, maybe 1600s? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> he wrote about... Uh, being able to actually send people to the moon, but not just in sort of a fantastical way, but in a very scientifically accurate sort of way, um, based on like Copernican knowledge and, and everything like that. So you have people who have been working on fiction, you know, relatively recently in the last hundred years who have brought about technology, but you also have people over the centuries writing about different um, things that, that actually ended up coming true um so especially in science fiction i think the, the look of the look at fiction as um a sort of way to advance uh the current scientific state of things is, is really fascinating and and uh in terms of some other interesting examples you mentioned the tricorder there I, I admit i didn't know what that was either but now i get it and i am familiar with uh with peter diamandis and and the uh the x prize competition i know that if I'm not mistaken, I think he was uh, a techie and, and certainly a fan of the fiction himself. Um, are, are there any other cool specific examples like that, science fiction written pieces, modules, bits of technology um, that, that are now the case today that, that for you are kind of rather interesting examples of, of this really happening? Um, well, I, I, <laughs> there's most things. I, I think, you know, uh, I do think satellites are actually a really... Um, you know, perhaps since I'm a space nerd, I, I, you know, it's <laughs> always, uh, I, I think, you know, the science behind satellites and, and how they work is, is just amazing to me. Um, you know, it, there's fascinating things like uh, satellites need to um, take into consideration time dilation, uh, essentially, since they, they move farther away from the Earth and, and uh, at faster speeds, um, the time that satellites experience is actually very different from the time here on Earth, and so uh, they experience time dilation. So essentially what that means is you can't make the clock that works with satellites be the same as the clock that works down here on Earth. If you did, all of our GPS directions would be uh, inaccurate and wouldn't work at all. You've got to actually um, account for the fact that the satellites are ever so slightly uh, in the future. Um, more so than we we are here on the ground and earth and because of that you have to account for like uh, some extra milliseconds or something and and that's how gps works if we didn't account for that um, a lot of our satellite technology wouldn't work so there's just really fascinating things about how to make 
you know, satellites work that I think are, are great. And I think, you know, people writing about how satellites could work like Arthur C. Clarke did, I think um, really just uh, is a phenomenal contribution to advancing science. Cool. And, and, and clearly that's a process that's very much continuing today. And at spacehack.org, I know that that's a, a bit of your mission, to say the least, in terms of being able to inspire that and to uh, get other people active in that process of contributing towards how we might make it out in space, explore our galaxy, etc. Um, what do you see as some of the exciting opportunities to encourage that kind of visioning and to build uh, better and and uh, and more interesting visions of the future? You know, unlock some of those some of those ideas and potentials uh, moving forward. Never mind what's already been created up until today. Yeah, I think there are really great projects on spacehack.org that um, really encourage sort of this imaginative um, future thinking while still being grounded in creating something in the present. So uh, a project that I think is really great is the University Rover Challenge. And the University Rover Challenge tasks uh, college students around the world to create the next generation of Mars rovers that we might one day use. And I think this is really great because, um, you know, we might need uh, different types of Mars rovers moving forward as technology advances, but also I think it's so open-ended that you could really say that Mars rovers should work more like tumbleweeds or they should work more like, I don't know, frogs or something. Um, so it's really something where uh, people can be very creative uh, as far as how rovers could better interact with the surface of Mars. Um, so I think that's really great. Cool. Okay, so an example there, and, and I like it as sort of a tangible example, I'll probably grab a couple of these here, is uh, setting a particular problem or challenge given the gravitational situation, given the actual atmosphere, the, uh, you know, the, the textures, the rock, well, what these, these uh, machines will have to deal with upon landing, how might movement be rethought rather than just, hey, we'll have four tires and it'll drive forward and backward and we'll be able to turn it. Um, right, so, exactly. So in, envisioning and, and imagining sort of how else that might be the case and, and cracking open those ideas there. So I, I dig that because it's kind of a bit of a structured exercise in terms of what those possibilities might be. What else um, is, is out there now in terms of, you know, I, I know that the, you mentioned the X Prize uh, in terms of generating um, new ideas and, and helping kind of diagnose folks. X Prize is obviously working on spatial exploration themselves. Do you think the idea of you know, putting money into the mix and vetting teams from all over the world uh, is another solid uh, way to sort of prompt a lot of those ideas of the future? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the work that XPRIZE does is, is really great. You know, I, I think uh, it's definitely not the only way to go about it, but it's uh, a really great one. I, I'm definitely a fan of uh, the Google Lunar XPRIZE, um, which is, you know, a competition to send all these different robots to the moon, um, not from government agencies, but from groups of individuals around the world. Um, so I think things like that are really great. And I think XPRIZE does try and do an interesting thing where they really try and seed um, you know, a, a money into an area that is just on the verge of, of possibly happening, but yeah. maybe might not in, unless they were to really do a competition around it. So um, it's been really fascinating over the years to track, you know, which teams uh, are going for the long haul to, to send their robots to, to the moon. Um, and it'll be really fascinating to see um, 
who gets there first and, and, and sort of the publicity around it, I guess, is it, I'm really um, anxious to see uh, what that's all like and how people will react about that. Yeah, big time. I, I think that I, I liken it to sports in some respect. There's some sort of more emerging sports and some more established sports. Sports like like football, for example, there's, you know, you had mentioned publicity and, and the, the, you know, money involved, things like that. Um, you know, football has a tremendous amount of publicity. Football is all pervasive in, in you know, various facets and aspects of our country. American football for all our, all our international yeah. readers. Um, there's a lot of money put into, uh, and, and because of that, there's, a you know, a lot of money that goes into gear and equipment, and, and that gets people more excited to show up to games, and that makes athletes' pay go up higher, and, and all of that makes... Oddly enough, it's not space exploration, but the study of football, right? The more serious science and tactics and video analysis of football, a deeper endeavor. And I think that when those same factors of attention, of increased uh, strategic minds thinking about it, of more people knowing about it, being excited about it, pay, paying attention to it, I think that those all proliferate the increased depth in a particular field. And I think XPRIZE can, can definitely contribute to that myself. And uh, in terms of other, other exercises um, on your end, maybe even something from, from spacehack.org. I know you had mentioned the great example of bringing high school students together and rethinking kind of motion on a Mars rover. What are some other great examples of, of space exploration um, or space hacking, maybe, so to speak, that can kind of inspire those future visions as well? Yeah, I think there are uh, really great projects out there, like um, Galaxy Zoo has been around for uh, a number of years. I'll have to check his- them out is uh, no less great. So Galaxy Zoo is um, essentially an online interface where anyone can go and classify galaxies. It's really simple. Almost all ages can can participate in it. Um, And you just go through and you classify galaxies. And by classifying galaxies, you're collectively helping uh, people better understand how galaxies formed over um, many, many years. Um, so we can better understand how they came into being the way that they are. But the really cool thing about Galaxy Zoo not only is uh, contributing to sort of furthering the science around galaxies, but a number of people through Galaxy Zoo have discovered um, entirely new galaxies that, uh, that no one knew existed before. And the cool thing about that is that um, if you discover a galaxy that no one's discovered before, your name will actually go on the scientific paper as one of the people who helped find it. So um, there's not only projects like Galaxy Zoo, but there are other projects like Planet Hunters or um, other projects where you can like discover a black hole. And so to me, the really cool thing is that you've got all of these different projects in which you can actually discover new things in our universe. And I think it's really amazing that you can not only do this, but you can do this all from the comfort of your home. And I think that's just really encouraging. Cool. Yeah, that's it's almost a little bit of the citizen science there, like that Fold It app that involves sort of folding proteins, but actually when people can find more effective ways to fold proteins, it all gets sent to a database and actually helps scientists. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I did. I was unaware that they had had similar uh, games and citizen science uh ways of being involved in the uh, the space world as well so I'll make sure that I link up to that in the article I'm uh, I'm I'm definitely very congenial with with uh with the notion that putting more attention on these particular topics helps us sort of crack open those possibilities it's it's my hope for sure that 
it's not only the, the further reaches of science, but even what a good future might be for humanity, because I think those things very much start uh, with ideas and with vision. So I'm glad that I was able to pick your brain a little bit today, Ariel, and I'm wishing you the best of luck with your own projects. If folks want to reach out, get in touch with you, see what you're up to, where are the best places to find you? Yeah, the best place to find me is arielwaldman.com. Uh, a lot of my projects are, are on there and uh, also my contact information. Cool. And then obviously we have uh, spacehack.org as well for everyone who's interested specifically in space, which is where Ariel likes to hone in. Ariel, thank you again very much for taking the time for the interview here at Tech Emergence. Yeah, thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker, uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>